0: Namotasa Bhagavatora Rato Samma Sambutasa Namotasa Bhagavatora Rato Samma Sambutasa Namotasa Bhagavatora Rato Samma Sambutasa Bhutan Dhammang Sangha Namasami it's always interesting uh, in beginning a Dhamma talk with this kind of the amount of uncertainty that's, that's there <laughs> Over, you know, where every, every, each, every one of you are at and uh, what will be effective, what will be helpful you know, what to say, how much to say, what do you know already and uh, and so on, so generally I just kind of sit in that and uh, just bring up a sense of of, uh, kindness, Um, just a wish to offer something that may be of use to you. And generally in these talks as, you know, you talk for 40 minutes, if you get something that you get 20 seconds of something that really stays with you, that's a pretty good night. Because it's uh, dumb is like that. You know, you, every little bit is kind of microcosmic. Fragment of it, it contains a lot, actually. Mm. And the very sense of uncertainty uh, itself is something that uh, I think we all recognise or come into, and we don't like it very much. So there can be a lot of uh, Nervousness, reactions around a sense of uncertainty, what we do in social groups to make sure we're not doing anything rude or impolite. Um, what we do, you know, to make sure that wherever we go we won't be harmed. What we do to make sure we've got all the gear we need to mean that we won't kind find somewhere where we're without our comforts, our food, drink, shelter, sunblock. Mobile phone, <laughs> credit card, wallet, keys, watch, clock, water bottle, you yeah. know, so forth. Kind of tokens of, of control that we carry around with us in belts of it, bits of plastic and things that will get us places or make sure we can get in contact with things. You. you realize how much kind of preparation goes on you know, that we'd want to do unconsciously who would who walks out without a watch and a key and a piece of plastic (laughs) who dares venture forth (laughs) (laughs) so it's kind of interesting you know, just to notice some of the stuff that we tend to not even really take into account that that without that, what's it like without that, what's it like and so a lot of the time in Dhamma practice, you're starting to actually push back, push, you know, stretch the envelope, push back some of the, away some of these little things, tokens, that we use to calm our, our nervousness or uncertainty. So I just have to trust, just have to open my mind and trust, you know, and ground myself, breathing in, breathing out, centering myself, breathing in, breathing out to myself in harmlessness, good intention, to myself in Dhamma, and that's the point of it, it's the kind of most uh, compact, portable accessory to always take with you, <laughs> wherever you go, <laughs> never gets out of date, translates into any, any language, any situation. Mm. Just being on the roader, and I travel quite a bit, uh, sometimes I pause and just kind of look at the signs around me, you know, what's going on. The amount of buzz and movement there is, and things that, you know, seductions and fears and voices threatening your luggage will be detonated if you move more than two yards away from it. You think, Wow, what a you know the kind of the ratcheting up of the nervous system that occurs in 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 human spaces. Mm. And then particularly coming through airports, I sometimes have these moments when I you know I land in Britain, say, or in America, and I haven't actually passed through customs yet. Yeah, I'm standing in the baggage hall, picking up the baggage. I haven't actually really been allowed into the country and you look around and you see things like, well, that's this place is going from Rome this is going this is going to Tel Aviv one's from Toronto you know, and you see and everybody in airports is going somewhere else to Toronto, Tel Aviv, Rome you know, going somewhere else where are we? where are we now where am I now I'm not really in any of these places I haven't Yeah, I'm not even in Britain or America I've actually been allowed in that sense of kind of momentary statelessness you know, when we have no particular destination no particular place we've arrived we're kind of in this limbo state of well you know what happens if they don't let me in <laughs> you know and uh, particularly when you're a monk you don't have a credit card you don't have keys you don't have money you don't have these things so what are you going to do? Mm. there's that kind of moment the mind has to drop into a deeper place of um, where I am and what I'm taking refuge in and what what I'm grounded in not a place, not a destination, um, not these these uh, kind of conditioned phenomena that come and go. But in in present, mm-hmm. centering oneself in that. It's a kind of process of really unpeeling, You're seeing all the layers of things that we've accumulated in nationality, possessions, location, I have a home and a place I belong to, and relationships, and things we've actually, some of them helpful, skillful, good, whatever, all accumulated layers. Um, and sometimes you get into these moments when one of them breaks or disappears somebody passes away you leave home you lose something there's this moment of disorientation sometimes more than a moment the mind really rocks because it hasn't got its normal bearings uncertainty and um, this is a place of Dhamma practice. It's the place where you can transfer, you can switch over, you can step over from the seemingly solid, tangible, finite, knowable, which breaks up to the seemingly intangible, unknowable, which doesn't break out. Hmm. Most of our practice is really just kind of forming these uh, this process of, of learning, you know, directly connecting to the mind, its behaviors, learning from perhaps the most important thing we, we, learn, we need to learn from, just what's making us tick, how do we operate, what, what drives us, what holds us, what frees us, what lifts us up, what pushes us down, mm-hmm. most important learning. And meditation itself is perhaps the, the quickest way to learn. sitting still sitting quietly breathing in breathing out watching what's going on because you're most directly connecting getting feedback from how you operate feedback from how you've operated in the past feedback from the things we hold on to feedback from just the feeling of holding on that kind of slight tenseness or preoccupation or busyness you're starting to learn about this stuff you know And, uh, you know, seeing, learning from how, the most real common experience in meditation is you find yourself completely engrossed in something, some sort of thing that's not really here at all. Engrossed in something one said five years ago, two years ago, yesterday, something that could happen, or might happen, or shouldn't have happened. Or you think did happen, or you feel ought to happen, but it isn't happening. Except that feeling of it should and it oughtn't is happening, and you're not going to let go of that one because it should and it ought to, and it, or it shouldn't, should it? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you can, there goes an hour of one's life. <laughs> or what if, you know? And you see how, how many of these uh, uh, these kind of preoccupations start to learn how, you know, the very sense of, of preoccupation is, is itself profitless. Why do you need to be preoccupied? Why couldn't we just be where we are? Why is it so difficult? Why is the mind kinda keep wanting to move out of that. Plans, strategies, aims, speculations, all kinds of themes and topics. How many meditation periods have I spent telling myself how to meditate? <laughs> Why does it keep doing that, you know? Mm. And we come up against this tremendous uh, fundamental urge for the finite, the knowable and the concrete, the, you know, the stable, that which can be said and known, planned, remembered, recollected, strategized, prepared for the future, molded over, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's uh, the the, the this movement towards the form, the conditioned. So one of the things uh, we see one learns a lot about just the, what is skillful and what's unskillful, what kind of things that you know really, really ugly to be preoccupied with, thoughts of malice, thoughts of craving, sorts of vindictiveness, pettiness. You know and how you just started getting a bit bigger and letting go and loosening up some of that stuff and it's uh, it's our kind of our most fundamental fundamental and humble learning is to recognize you know these tendencies towards violence and um, pettiness and manipulativeness these kind because of, what you learn really important thing is to learn is um, not to be starting to kind of just moralize and judge them and oper- or deny them but how to release them yeah. that there is a release which is not effected just through lecturing oneself to be otherwise it's not released through slapping another set of rules and values on top of it it's released by a kind of opening and widening the mind a sense of relaxing and letting go of that agitation that tightness that hardness that frenzy that anxiety that restlessness letting go of the form letting go of the, the formulated and this is first of all you know why it's based upon first of all just what skillful and unskillful because very immediately you get the feedback that hey, this stuff is just making me feel bad. And, you know, I can actually just let go of it. Not, not dump it, suppress it. I can let go of it and feel good. It's taught me that. It's taught me how attractive, how righteous, how, you know, on top of it all I can feel when I adopt one of these things, and just how stressful and painful that makes my life in the present and that there can be a letting go of it rather than I am this I'm always stuck with this there can be a letting go of this and the letting go of that is comfortable peaceful suffusive it doesn't make me into something more strategized. It makes me into something more open and compassionate and peaceful. It doesn't make me into more, something more righteous <laughs> and moralizing or blaming or judging. It makes me into something that's actually more spacious and open and, and compassionate. So we learn this. So to really learn. You learn it through pain. there's this uh, saying that the Proust I think Marcel Proust said we aspire to the good and the truthful the pain we obey <laughs> 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 when it hurts enough <laughs> you drop it <laughs> it's a kind of bit grim but uh, it's a <laughs> view of human nature <laughs> But we say that, it does, you know, when, because the truth is something we can always figure out. We can think truth is an idea, you know, so you want to hold to an idea of truth, you want to hold to an idea of the right, hold to the idea of the pure and the peaceful, but, you know, you cling to it. But the pain of clinging is something that you, that you experience truth as something that's not finite, not formed not contrived not owned not mine Mm. something where there's just a, a dissolution of tension and strife something that can embrace us in all our struggles something that's really accessible as we cultivate just this one particular move how does one relinquish stress relinquish this disagreeable how we first of all acknowledge it is disagreeable we learn that in meditation because you're trying to learn beyond the topic of the mind almost what the energies of the mind do yeah. and so you know, why the Buddha really emphasized wholesome and unwholesome and these are not just value judgments you know, social ju- value judgments these are actual descriptions as, as, as simply as he could say about particular energies that have very palpable results the wholesome it is all those energies and moods and inclinations those kind of movements of intention movements of attitude movements of our and do it that tend towards making us feel larger wholer more whole, more balanced, more grounded and you feel good you feel comfortable The unwholesome, you feel more edgy, sharp, precarious, stressed, tight. Mm. And, uh, you know, the unwholesome may be obvious things like, you know, uh, malice. Um, You know, you can't comfortably just accommodate and relax into malice. (laughs) I mean you can hold it, but the holding is a kind of tension there to hold it. You've got to keep energizing it. You've got to keep putting in that thought of the rotten thing they did and how I'm going to get even with them, whatever it is. It doesn't it doesn't sustain itself. The unwholesome does not sustain. It requires continual input. It's an effort to keep it going. An effort that one gets kind of um, trapped into is admittedly. It's not always a voluntary effort. Sometimes you just kind of re- these reflexes occur. But wherever we can, the cultivation is to make what seems first of all just to be a reflex into something we have some choice over. You know, because with the meditation you're starting to look very closely and you've got a grounded place and you can feel that arising. You've got a choice. Do you want to follow that? Or there's somewhere better to go. And a very simple kind of fundamental technique, if you like, that we... Begin with the meditation. I'm still working with it, just going going into the body to feel the wholesome and the unwholesome, to really feel it, not just have some another judgment or a mental idea of it. But because these things definitely affect your whole nervous system, you've only got one. You haven't got one for your mind and one for your body. The whole thing runs through one channel, and um, you know The the validity of meditation based in the body is that it brings the mind and the body together. The mind and the body correlate at the level of feeling. What you feel in your mind, you feel in your body. When you feel fear in your mind, you feel it in your body. When you feel joy in your mind, you feel it in your body. When you feel love in your mind, you feel it in your body. When you feel hate in your mind, you feel it in your body. And because of that, Correlation around the experience of feeling, which the mind and the body share, and the mind and the body correlate. It's possible you get some leverage on this very powerful experience we have of feeling, which stirs up our emotions, which rush, which galvanizes our attention, which thrusts us into action. <clears throat> In the body, you've got a place where you can just say, wait a minute. Let's just uh, hold that. And you can s- sense through through meditation, you begin to sense how this this kind of capturing of mental feeling can be released into the body. And when I say the body, I don't mean you know, into your fingers or your nose, but into the feeling, the felt sense of the body as we sit here. That sense of being embodied. That sense of having a, a kind of simple. A location of groundedness. So, I mean, fundamentally, breathing in and out brings you into the energy system of the body, the feeling system of the body, the nervous system of the body. And this is so you get a direct correlation between mental feeling and perception and physical or bodily. And the body can govern the mind. The body can give the mind some feedback. Say, hey, you're making me feel really tense. You're making me feel really unpleasant. You know, drop that, will you? <laughs> and there's a place that you can drop it. You can actually drop it, return to the breathing, return into your body, drop it, relax it, just let your attention widen. So, very often, the mental feeling, when it, as it moves into action, means you, you come into something very sharp, you know, kind of pointed the mind can pinpoint it comes down to one point on a particular thought or impression it's kind of running away with that you you just just stop and widen your attention something like that because that is is the gesture of relaxation and what does it take to widen your attention first of all the acknowledgement of um, this is unpleasant this is stressful, I don't trust this And uh, so the winding of intention implies no value judgment, no analysis. It's just saying, well, let's stay with that, but just get wider. Feel what it feels like. So you've got some way of sensing your specific thought, uh, attitude or idea in a much more balanced way. Balance needs width. You look at tightrope walk and They always have a kind of pole they carry, don't they? You know, the wider your the wider your span, the more balanced you are. Uh, and it's just kind of coming back to that as a reference point mm. to live with balanced balanced mind, balanced attention. You learn a lot about uh, as you learn the unskillful and the skillful intentions, you see that every every intention, every kind of imperative, every impulse, every inclination of the mind, yeah you know, has a kind of has a localising effect. You you are somewhere, you're doing something, you're interested in that particular thought you're interested in that particular sensation you want to go to that place you become quite localized suddenly you want to fly to Rome you know you've got your ticket I want to go there you're not in some kind of indefinite space I want to be there I want to go there I don't want to be here I want to be there <laughs> you know you become very localized it's got that kind of quality that's what in- intention does impulse, inclination it, it makes something quite specific and firstly you to be very clear about which ones you actually want to be specific what you want to which plane you want to get on you know where you want to go and then eventually where, where, why do you want to go <laughs> where are you going to Where's your intention going to? Why, why? Why? do you want to go somewhere? Mm. What's the movement? What's the restlessness? What's the push? Could we get more comfortable where we are? So you learn, start to contemplate the very, you know, experience of that directive mind, and now what a what a uh, reflex that is. There are very fundamental things that I'm sure we're all biologically geared to. One is I, I want to be safe. I want to be somewhere where I'm going to get shot to pieces. I want to be somewhere safe. I some, like to be somewhere where I, you know, get some feel good happening, where I get my my supplies in, you know, my stash, my warmth, my enjoyment, experience going. You know. Be somewhere that's happening. Well, freedom from fear, freedom from uh, loss, and that's the kind of seems to me that's the bottom line of all our all the movements. And most of that on that movement is so strong, it's so you know biologically geared. I mean, even slugs want that, I'm sure. That <laughs> you can't really Cut it out, but it's a matter of saying: just check in with: is this is this going there? Does this plane go there? Does this impulse go there? How long for? Yeah, yeah. How long's the ride on a on an ice cream? Never feel good. How long's the the place of of uh, you know, how secure is our place of security? You, know, and you can see this kind of uh, this, this paradigm being played out in uh, in the world. Every country's got its ministry of defence. There's not a single country that's dedicated to aggression. What a wonderful peaceful world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> All these, all these states and nations just, just set up to make us feel really comfortable and secure. We should, we should be really peaceful, shouldn't it? There's not a single ministry of war in the world. <laughs> yeah. So how come? How come the more defence we have, the more, more rattled we get, the more fighting we get, the more fear there is. Yeah. When I come because as soon as you start looking at things in that light of uh, what one might be what could happen the terrors that might happen if we're not careful then you know the whole, thing, the whole thing starts to escalate doesn't it you get the defense well because it might go wrong we better blast them first before they get in <laughs> and so it goes you know on that, that reflex, so you get kind of situations where it, the whole thing spins out of control. What about the daring of what would you like if I just kind of trusted? You know, what about if I practice loving kindness and generosity instead? Mm. What about if I accepted the fact that I'm going to die and said, okay, you know? I can't do much about that, really. I might die, you know. Every time I get in the car, I definitely think to myself, "Well, oh, you know, could end up smashed up under a truck." Nothing really I can do about it, really. Well, limited. Some virus might have its sort little of beady eye on me at this very moment, could get into my central nervous system, and totally impassively and cause me all kinds of extreme. Degrading pain and de- <laughs> death. <laughs> what can you do? You know? How much can you do? Or you say, Well, I can't do all that much about that. What I can do something about is fear. Yeah, I can do something about that. The rest of it, I just have to take my chance. And uh, you know. Because that's, that's it, isn't it? How long do ones want to live running scared? So, you know, you, we can work with that very welling up of anxiety and the minor social anxieties, the anxieties about what if I get it wrong? You know? What if it doesn't work? What if I'm left here alone? You know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Just look over the edge of that. Look over the edge of what if? And wait that your mind open up. And realise, you know, that we've been running away from phantoms. If you examine, you know, the, these the, the attitudes we have like what if what if I get it wrong you've been getting it wrong all your life you know <laughs> it's no big deal <laughs> everybody's getting it wrong everybody's making mistakes everybody's kind of falling you know losing it blundering. Not noticing, not being as respectful, polite, kind, not really telling a really accurate, spot-on thing, going on too long, babbling on too long, not saying enough, not coming up with the right emotional gesture at the right time. Everybody's getting it wrong. Why don't we just practice forgiveness instead and just get out of this trap? (laughs) You forgive me and I'll forgive you, okay? (laughs) Deal. what if it doesn't work (laughs) you know but it never did work did it (laughs) (laughs) you know you show me a gadget that works they all say they'll work you know there's this um, running battle with computers (laughs) everything is breaking down and we we can we can we can get through that. We can pass it. We do, we can, you know, we can be bigger than that. We can be bigger than getting it right, and getting it wrong. We can be bigger than success and failure. We can be bigger than praise and blame. We can be bigger than gaining and losing. What a relief to get out of the game. So, well, I accept it. There's gonna be some pain and some you know and I might even cause pain. But I really don't want to do that. And maybe the best way I can do it is just by being a bit more relaxed, a bit more at ease, a bit more broad minded, a bit more less concerned about being absolutely perfect and right and on time and prepared and strategized and defended, socially approved, you know, and so forth. Whew. <laughs> Just, you know, go down in your belly, relax, breathe out, open up, and trust that as a human being you've got what it takes to be a human being. And um, you can learn from that. And you can learn to not make a big deal out of it. And you can learn to not get confused by it. You learn to not expect miracles out of it. And then you can learn to let go of it. Come out of it come out of the agitation, and the self-consciousness that rises up in these these uh, forms. This is really important to learn, isn't it? Yeah. This is nothing that's so esoteric, nothing so kind of, you know, even high-minded, it's just basic sanity. Um... But the wonderful thing is this is also, it's very ordinary it's also extremely profound because it actually starts to dismantle all of those kind of reflexes that seem so ingrained and so out of control and they grip me and they push me around and they make me flustered and they make me say things I wish I hadn't said and they make me snappy and they make me sad They it starts to dismantle all that stuff And dismantle, you know, my hold on being something and proving something and getting somewhere and all that need. Till one can be marvelously right here. In a place that doesn't have a location. Because it doesn't have a location, you never leave it. Because you never leave it you can't leave it there's not that kind of grief and sadness and ups and downs and holding on and worry about it this is what the mind is held by intention by the kind of drive whether that's a subtle Inclination, or it's a nagging thrust, or it's a reflex twitch, or it's a determined thrust, you know, or however it is, and it's led, it's held by that, and it's held by attention, by landing somewhere, by occupying something, by setting up boundaries, you know, this particular object I attend to, this particular scenario I'm with this particular physical form I'm, you know, I'm, I'm bound in, I'm with that, this is my area, this is my concern, this is my place. Those are the boundaries of attention. And the mind is held between attention, what it's, what it what it spans itself over, what it nestles on, what it rests upon, what it occupies, and by intention where it wants to go and what it wants to do in that territory what territory it wants to create. Hmm. And you this continual play between these. And through learning, through the very uh, ongoing learning, you begin to come through the topics of the mind, through the occupying, just through the very mainsprings of the intention, that wish to be, to have, to make, to do, to go, to become, to avoid, to sort out which is kind of, you know, it's an agitated push and attention, tension which means I'm holding a particular ground, I'm holding a particular piece of space, you know, my mind, my body, my territory, wherever it is, have you sense that? these are both stress and as you begin to kind of calm your attention your intention, steady your intention, and make your attention something that's very permeable. It can spread. You can you can go past your boundaries of uncertainty, of fear of holding. You can go past your limitations. You can your mind can open beyond that. You see where intention and attention dissolve and the mind is released but in the ongoing truthfulness of our practice it's really important to sift through all that kind of static and white noise that the emotions and the psychologies are setting up to really see, to really get a handle on what intention feels like you know, in your nervous system what attention how that limits you how that feels how big you feel right now how much space you have you know, uh, how bound you feel when you're really occupied with a, with a whole series of thoughts how tight and narrow you feel how, you know, how your attention bunches up And you start to sense this is, you know, in the bodily sense, you get a kind of real feeling for this and the release of that. This is what we practice. Mm. This is what we practice. This is the dissolving. Dissolving, and it involves the dissolving of one's controls, one's self-image, one's self-territories so for that it's got to be a comfortable ride you know, and we feel can feel in breathing in and breathing out in the sense of good friendship in the sense of morality, moral living you feel the fundamental sense of it's okay it's okay to be here you know, it's okay, that gives you that just that edge that ability to trust the process practice so there are intentions that are skillful intentions that lead to the disbanding of intention there are things to attend to carefully And perhaps the most important thing to attend to carefully is the quality of intention itself where you're going, why you're going how you're operating with your desperate speedy Dithering, <coughs> joyful, you know, whether it's a skillful, unwholesome, and just to really get a touch in sen- sense of that. What's the intention that leads to the disbanding of that, and is the the res- dissolving of that into um, in your own body or your own apparent, your own your own here and now experience. So offer this for your reflection. Om <laughs>